Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, December 30th, 2018. The share ID numbers for Friday, December 28th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,353. That's 1, 2, 3, 5, 3. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 12,355. That's 1, 2, 3, 5, 5. This morning, A Vision for You presents The Power of the Pause. An often heard acronym for the word pause, pray, and use spiritual energy. Dr. Samuel Shoemaker, the Bill Wilson spiritual advisor, said that a person must grow up and stop just using God and instead begin to ask God to use him or her. Real prayer is not telling God what we want. It is putting ourselves at his disposal so that he can tell us what he wants. Prayer is not trying to get God to change his will. It is trying to find out what his will is to align ourselves or realign ourselves with his purpose for the world and for us. Step 11 states, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for his knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Step 11 is the culmination of all the other steps. We have taken all the other steps to lead us to this step. As a result of the inventory actions of steps four through nine, the life occupation of evaluation and correction in step 10, we have removed the obstacles that are blocking us from God. The big book's warning about needing to keep in fit spiritual condition begins its discussion of step 11. Step 11 has multiple daily applications. Upon awakening in the morning and upon retiring at night and whenever we face doubt or feel agitated during the day. The big book concludes its step 11 instruction by suggesting that when we're agitated or doubtful, we pause and ask for the right thought or action. The perfect prayer is recommended. Thy will be done. This is an act of our free will placing us in harmony with God and with others. I will that your will be done. This is the proper use of the will, a change from willfulness to willingness. It is this act of pause that will be the focus of our attention this morning. Joining us today to speak on the profound action of the pause is Marie J., a recovered compulsive overeater from Colorado. Marie is dedicated to our 12-step way of life and to carrying the message of recovery. And a warm welcome to you, Marie J. All right. Good morning. This is Marie J., and I am uh, recovered in Colorado. And uh, so grateful to be here and so grateful to have this program and um, just everything that is offered here, and really super happy to do this. I, I was so blessed to be able to do the last um, 
special edition of last year. So this is just such a treat to get to do it again this year. I'm so grateful. And I'd just like to begin by saying that everything I have to share here today, I learned from someone else or is contained in the book book. I'll also share my interpretation and my experience as I've learned over the years by making mistakes and falling on my face, which is, of course, my best teacher. And my greatest gratitude is to the people who picked me up and carried me when I didn't have a relationship with higher power. And you're all here now. And that is just such a blessing. You're my God squad. So take what is useful to you and just disregard the rest. Um, so this talk is about the power of the pause, but before I go into that, I'll share a little bit about the reason I'm here and what it was like. Um, it all starts like this. As an untreated compulsive overeater, I'm selfish, I'm self-seeking, I'm self-centered, I'm a self-righteous human being, and I blame everybody else for my circumstances. I want you to change. I want you to change so that I can have ease and comfort. And as an untreated compulsive overeater, I'm going to rage until you bend to my will. And then I'm going to go to self-pity for the poor life I have because of you and how you turned me into this. So that's how I am in my untreated state. And then I'm going to go into self-loathing for becoming the person that I've become because of you. So that's how my life was before recovery. And I was also 100 pounds overweight. And somehow that was somebody else's fault too because I don't or maybe, maybe I can't take responsibility for who I am in my untreated condition. And we all go through it. We're not that different. Maybe the way we act out with our substance plays out a little differently, but our minds all work the same way in addiction, and that's why we use this big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, because we all have this mental thing going on. And we wouldn't be saying, you know, yes, that's me, and I need this thing too. I want what you've got, this thing that we call recovery. But am I willing to do what you did? So that's the first question. Am I willing to be and am I capable of being honest? Because honesty and willingness are the two must-haves in this thing we call recovery. So I wanted to start with my favorite line of the big book on page 13 and 14. I found that this has become one of the most important go-to instructions for my recovery. And it says at the bottom of 13, Belief in the power of God <clears throat> plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were essential. That's my favorite line in the big book. So what's essential to recovery is first to believe in the power. So we're instructed to come up with our own understanding of God, and that doesn't need to be a barrier of the entry. But this instruction tells us that we have to believe in the power of God, the power and I never really understood that because I had created my understanding of God, and that's as far as I got. So God was a creation in my mind in the beginning of recovery, and that was sufficient for a beginning, but I failed to go to the next level and develop a relationship with God to experience the power of God. And it took me a few years of practice before I even believed in that power, you know, the power with a capital P. And there's a distinction between believing in God and believing in the power that God can have in my life. And then the line says, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility. So in my beginning, I wanted recovery, 
but I wasn't very really willing. You know, when the rubber met the road, was I really willing? Willingness to me means not asking God to change you, but to change me and to show me how God wants me to be in the world and to give me the courage to show up that way. Willingness is seeing that if I'm not the problem, there's no solution. And when I heard that for the first time, which was this year, if I'm not the problem, there is no solution. I was blown away because what does it mean if I'm not the problem, there's no solution? I'm always the problem when it comes to my agitation because the problem is between my ears. It's my perception of the world and the lack of acceptance in the world that I inhabit. Lack of acceptance of how the world is. I am always the problem if I'm agitated because it's always between my ears. And then it says we have to be honest. And again, I wasn't honest. I told myself I ate because of you. I didn't admit that I ate because it was my solution not to being able to handle all that buildup of emotions because anyone who didn't bend to my will, I ate over. I believed I was the director. I always knew the right way things should be done. And even, and it says it in the big book, um, around page 60, when being virtuous, kind, and considerate, I still want my way. So I can be all charming, but I want you to conform to my will because I believe I know best for your life. And that's not honest. That's dishonest. And it says that I have to be humble. And humility is a modest view of my own importance. A modest view of my own importance. And in my untreated addiction, I'm self-righteous. I'm self-centered. I can't be humble. I'm right and you're wrong and there's no in-between. And with as much charm as I can muster, I'm going to bend you to my will. And if I fail, then I'm going to scare you to death with my rage and my self-righteousness. And I'm going to cut you to pieces with my tongue, my vicious tongue. You know, just ask my husband. He's had to live with me for 16 years and 10 of them were untreated. So this paragraph is where I made my beginning, and to me it's the message of recovery in one sentence. Belief in the power, finding that power and then connecting with it through sitting quietly and inviting it in to connect with you. So that's step two, plus willingness, honesty, and humility, which we just covered. And then the last part of that sentence, which is the, the part that I missed for years, is to establish and maintain the new order of things. What's the new order of things? What does it mean? It means that I agree to change, that I'm no longer in charge, that I'm no longer under this illusion that life is controllable and that it's my duty to be in charge. Because in my untreated state, I believe it's my duty to be in charge. You know, my attitude is someone's got to be in charge and I'm the smartest person in the room and I know what's best for everyone, so I'm happy to be in charge of your life. And my self-seeking behavior says, you can just leave your will at the door. We're going to do things my way. So the new order of things that has to be established and maintained is the notion that this thing that we call the power, higher power, is in charge. And I thought willingness, honesty, and humility were going to be hard. But giving my will and my life to the higher power every minute of every day it's the hardest thing I've ever done and I fall on my face a lot I don't get it right all the time and I have to clean up messes with a tenth step whenever I slip into my untreated thinking and I do slip into my untreated thinking 
And that's part of recovery too. We are human and we're never going to be perfect. We don't graduate from this program. We don't get cured. And we always take steps towards spiritual perfection, but we, we sit in acceptance that we're never going to be perfect. And we forgive ourselves and we make amends when we fail. So I fall on my face and I make mistakes. But it doesn't mean I've failed at life. I've just merely failed at perfection, which is just an act of my ego. And that prevents me from living life as a human being. So how I respond to my imperfection is what this is about. Do I go to shame and eat, or do I go to God and take the next right action? Because my mind always wants to convince me that I am the power. That's my ego. And that's the other thing about me being in charge. I have belief that if I work hard enough and I push hard enough, I can get life to do what I want. And I live under this illusion that I can affect change outside of myself. I can manage the world. I can rule the world. I can manipulate everything to get my way. And I can manipulate you. And that's what we call insanity in this program. But then sometimes things do go my way. And my controlling behavior and my pushing and pushing and getting more, all that behavior is validated in my mind. And then sometimes things don't go my way, and I just have to remind myself, oh, it, it does go my way. If I push harder, I, I'll get my way because, see, I have this validation that over here things did go my way. But really it's all random. You know, I don't have any control over life. Life's going to randomly go my way and randomly not go my way, regardless of what I do. But in my untreated state, I'm always going to believe that I have something to do with it. And in both cases, I'm going to eat. Because eating calms the high and low emotions that build up in me. And the, the emotions build up in me because of the anxiety of having to rule the world, which is in my mind. That's my belief. So this line on page 13 and 14 says, once I get a belief that there's a power and I'm not it, plus willingness, honesty, and humility to maintain the new order of things, that I'm not running the show, then I can make a beginning. So that's where I am today. I, I'm at the beginning every day. And it took me five and a half years so far to get to a new beginning today, one day at a time, and I'm not done. I haven't arrived. I'm not cured. I don't have any expectation that I'll be cured. I'm just recovered one day at a time contingent upon the maintenance of my spiritual condition, which is a, another favorite line from the book. I have to maintain my spiritual condition. And what two relapses and my sponsor taught me is that I have to do this every day with my hair on fire. Because if I don't, I relapse. And I just love that expression, hair on fire. And I use it all the time. Because I relapsed when I rested on my laurels. And I thought I didn't have to work this thing every day. But I learned that today is, today is all I've got. If I get my head into the future, I'm going to get in trouble. I've got today to take direction from higher power. I've got today to stay recovered. I've got today to carry this message, and I've got today to be of service. And that's working it with my hair on fire. And if I don't exercise that spiritual muscle every day with my hair on fire, I'm in danger. Like recently, last month I was in Boston for four days with my 
my days and nights were consumed with meetings and dinners, and I was staying in a place where I had no privacy whatsoever, and I wasn't with any program people. And I didn't stay in fit spiritual condition for those four days, and I got in trouble in my mind. I was really grateful that I didn't eat, but my behavior when I got home turned into self-reliance and, and my self-will, and I was just a mess. But fortunately, I do work this with my hair on fire most of the time, and I had enough recovery under my belt to get reconnected and surrender. But it scared me because the last time that happened, I relapsed over two years ago. I disconnected from the power, and I was operating from self-will, and I was reacting to everything, and I was just so grateful to get back to sanity and back to my program and back to God. But I have to work this thing every day. So what's been happening to me this year is um, a deeper level of understanding of this pause in the big book. And I'm telling you, my life has been transformed once again, that this thing just keeps growing and getting bigger and bigger. And the lessons in the pause for me this year have been really hard and really painful, but really rewarding too. So on page 87 in the big book, the quote is, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action, reminding ourselves we are no longer running the show, saying many times a day, thy will be done. So I'm going to start with that last phrase, thy will be done. What does it mean? So I'm going to read um, an excerpt from one of my favorite 12-step authors. And the, the quote is, God's will for us is the same. We are all designed to become as conscious as we can in the situation we inhabit. So we're to be as conscious as we can in the situation we inhabit. And what I believe that means is life is in session with all the ups and downs, with all the disappointments and achievements, and if we live with consciousness and acceptance, then we're doing God's will. And the text goes on to say, the more conscious we become, the more we actualize our humaneness, our humaneness. So that tells me God's will is for me to become more humane, which is another word for more loving. And finally, the quote says, what we truly desire is to navigate reality in which we find ourselves in such a way as to maximize reciprocity and love. God's will is simply what is in the moment, always containing the possibility of expansive living. So I'm going to read that one again. It's a little mouthful. What we truly desire is to navigate the reality in which we find ourselves in, in such a way as to maximize reciprocity and love. God's will is simply what is in the moment, always containing the possibility of expansive living. So navigating the reality we are in to maximize love and look for ways all the time to live expansively. That's God's will for us. I just love that. So back to this instruction on page 87, we pause when agitated or doubtful. I love the way the authors use the word agitation because I can apply that word to every negative motion I feel. I think they really worked hard on choosing this word carefully because I can say that when I'm feeling anything else, anger, disappointment, betrayal, sadness, all of these emotions cause a disturbance in me. 
all of them are agitation. So when I'm feeling something that's not love, not kindness, all I have to do is check in and say, okay, I think that's agitation. It just makes it simpler for me to identify. And then the other word is doubt. And, you know, doubt comes down to fear. And that's also agitation. I'm disturbed when I'm feeling fear. So anything that I'm not feeling that is not love, love that is God's will for me, to be able to navigate this reality that I find myself in, anything that is not love qualifies for a pause. So I don't have to stop and go, is this agitation? Is this fear? Is this doubt? I just have to pay attention to anything that is going on that is disrupting love. And then I pause. So for me, this is where I spend the majority of my day. And I don't mean to sound funny. I don't mean to have false humility here. My mind is a dangerous place, and I'm really clear about that. I spend all my time in the pause because I'm not so recovered that my judgment of others isn't my first thought. When I get uncomfortable, when I'm agitated, my first thought is whose fault is this, and trust me, it's not mine. I just want to blame someone else because I'm uncomfortable. And then, bam, right there, right there. If I can catch myself in that moment of insanity and pause, that's it. That's the beginning. That's the pause. And it happens in a split second. But, of course, at that same moment, I'm fighting my character defects that are rising up out of dormancy to join the circus that's going on in my head. So I got self-righteousness coming up and saying, hey, wait a minute, I'm the one who's right here. I am right and you are wrong. And self-pity comes in and says, oh, God, I got this life and my life is so hard. And blame comes up and says, oh, if only you would act this way, then I could be fine. So it's not easy to pause in the thick of my mental gymnastics that are going on when I get agitated. So earlier in my, in my program career, I was just practicing the pause in my marriage because agitation was really easy to identify in my marriage, and it was really loud. And, uh, you know, just about anything my husband did would, be, would cause me agitation. And that's just the nature of being married to an addict that has control issues and self-righteousness. And I'm not talking about him. He's not one of us. <laughs> that's me. So here we have two completely different personalities living together 24-7, managing kids and housework and priorities and work and general life, life stuff. And my untreated addiction to control makes me judge first and then maybe pause later. But that's not really pausing. If the moment passes and I've reacted, then it's a tenth step that I got to do to go clean up whatever mess I made. So my marriage is the best place to start learning about this pause. So it's simple to see the need to pause, but in the moment it's just not really easy to do. So you can picture me, because this is literally what I did in the beginning. Hide in the bathroom. I just run and hide in the bathroom, put a sock in my mouth, and pray to God to restrain my tongue. And that was my beginning. And for someone who judged and raged all the time, it was a good beginning. It was progress, man. And over time it worked. I just kept shoving a sock in it and running into the bathroom, and then I'd go right a 10th step and make a call to one of my God squad. 
And after a while, it seemed like magic because I stopped raging. And then it seemed like my husband changed. <laughs> so, isn't that funny? My, my husband seemed to change when I stopped yelling at him. Huh, you think? But I was changed in this process of the pause. I was changed. And I didn't want to look at how I was being, and I didn't want to ask God to step in and show me how I needed to change and grow. I didn't want to look at my rage. But in those moments of agitation, I was feeling betrayed and angry. And I just wanted to let him have it. And that's how I operated in my untreated addiction. But I practiced it over and over, and I paused in agitation and doubt. And then everything changed. And it took time, and I'm not perfect, and I still bark now and then, but I have made spiritual progress. And when I fail to pause, i got to suck up some humility and make amends. And that's uncomfortable too. But I don't like it at all when I break out in bad behavior. I don't like it at all when I forget about the pause. I just don't want to be that person. But she's still in there. She's imperfect, and I have to forgive myself and make amends to those I harm and pick up the pieces and move on and not live in shame and guilt and remorse. And the beauty of being in the pause and the beauty of making amends is that when I go to my husband and I make an amend, it always ends up that he owns his part too. And it didn't happen in that, in that way in the beginning. I got some resentments out of it because I'm always making my amends. But the miracle is eventually he started owning his own part. You know, he's not one of us and he's not in recovery. But he would see my vulnerability and watch me swallow my pride. And then there was a safe place for him to expose his own vulnerability. And that's how great recovery works. Like, I didn't even expect that to happen. And then all of a sudden, he's owning his own stuff. And it's really changing our relationship. But, you know, sometimes it's still a struggle to have enough willingness and honesty and humility. Because I have to change. I have to look at how I have to change. But when I do change, that's what this line, establishing the new order of things, means. The power is in charge, not me. Higher power is in charge, not me. So this is a progressive program. We first learn to do the steps in the safety of the rooms. And then we learn to speak out loud in the rooms and then on the phone and we start asking fellows for help and being of service and then we take it out to our lives and to work and we work it out at home with our families, our families who love us in spite of our character defects and we struggle with our character defects and we still think that we can change people and we fall on our face but we keep making amends and then we take it out into the world and how we operate with people not in program, and how we operate with institutions that we might resent. That's how this process works. So in the last year, I've been really out in the world with this and working on some issues around my personal work. Um, I have, many of you know, 11-year-old twin boys, and I'm a realtor, and my busiest time of the year at work is when my boys are off, nights and weekends and spring and summer breaks, and I'm self-employed, I'm 100% commission, and seven years ago, my husband and I made a decision to have him stay at home and raise the kids, 
and they've got tons of activities. They've got homework. They've got all this extracurricular stuff. They play three instruments, and there's karate, and there's music lessons, and we're all very busy. And I'm the one who's responsible for the income and the full support of our household financially. And I've been praying to God about being more available to my family because of this work that I have. So I work around, you know, 10 or 12 hours a day in my busy season, some nights, a lot of nights, and all weekends. And those are the times that my kids are on break. And it can be scary, you know, because I never know when the next house will sell. I never know when the next buyer will show up. But I did a lot of work on this in January of 2016 with God. You know, I really accepted my situation and I surrendered to God. And I surrendered my fear around financial insecurity. And that was the last of the nine-step promises that I really got. And I took direction that I know came from God in 2016 to stop doing all the marketing and trying to get new business and trying to get more and to just do the work God delivered. So I said, okay, God, I believe in you utterly. I have faith. And I know you will take care of us. And when the phone rings, I'm going to respond. And if it's program, I'm going to take that program call. And if it's work and income, I'm going to take that call. And I stepped out in faith. And I took the action that was given, but I wasn't in charge. And it was scary not to, not to go out and try to push my business and promote my business. But I stayed connected. And that year, I made more money than I have ever made in my life. And I didn't push and shove to make things happen. I surrendered. And I kept asking for guidance. And I took the next indicated action. And I carried this message every day. And I served others in program. I served my family. And I served my work. And it was a great year. And then 2017 came and I had to start all over. And I went into doubt. You know, I thought it was a fluke that I had made that much money. And I didn't believe God had anything to do with it. But I kept doing my program. And I kept pausing and saying, okay, let me just do the next right thing. Ask for my faith muscle to be strengthened. Thy will be done. And I kept taking the next indicated action in 2017. And I had the second best year of my career. And then this year, I closed out the year exceeding 2017 because of faith and action there's always action but i paused i gave it to god and i took the next action and so people are always asking me oh my god how do you keep the pace up of being a business owner and mom and working seven days a week and doing all the sponsoring you do and speaking and lots of program and you know it just comes down to a simple but disciplined spiritual practice, everything led by higher power. I am very disciplined in my spiritual practice. And it wasn't always that way. I had to relapse twice before I said, oh, this thing is real. This thing is real. I am a real compulsive overeater. So I make time every day. That is my first and most important priority of the day to connect with this power. And I stay in steps 2 and 11 all day long, all the time, constantly asking for the power, asking for the continued faith in the power, and asking for God's will in everything I do. And I'm not spiritually perfect. I fall down into self-will. I fall down into self-reliance. And I let my ego convince me that I'm doing God's will when sometimes I'm doing my own will. But I get clarity 
from God when I stay connected and when I allow myself to be changed. I have to allow myself to be changed. It's that simple. And it's not easy, but it's infinitely better than the alternative. The alternative is I go back to living as a rageful, unhappy, undisciplined, sick puppy. So the biggest thing that happened in the pause this year for me happened in the last eight weeks. So I'm so glad to be able to, to um, share this with, with you. Um, all year long I've been asking God how I could have more time with my family. And if it was God's will, I would consider doing something else. So, you know, I could have nights and weekends off and have time with my family. And, um, you know, all year I wasn't getting any direction. And I'm, you know, still doing the work. I'm still doing what's put in front of me. But I'm getting a little impatient with God, you know. <laughs> saying, hey, you out there, you know, I don't hear your direction. I need you to speak louder. I can't hear you. I don't know what the next right action is, but I know it's coming. So I'm just going to stay here in this pause of knowing what I'm supposed to be doing here. And I keep working. And then late in October, my best friend of 51 years shows up and asks me to come into her business and to run her account management group. And she's ready to offer me an equity position and a smaller salary than I'm accustomed to because they're, they're a startup company. But they've been in business for four years. And it's work that I did 20, for 25 years before I got into real estate 13 years ago. So it's work I know. I'm, I'm totally qualified to do it. There's no nights. There's no weekends. There's nobody who's going to call me at dinner time and ask me to show them a house right now. And there's no one that's going to call me at 8 a.m. the day after Christmas like this year wanting to meet with me in an hour, and I go. But they're a startup, and I'm going to have to take a pay cut. And make it up in equity, but the equity could end up being a couple million dollars in a few years when they sell the company. And these three founders have been at it for four years. They have customers. They have an innovative product. And they're bringing me in to help scale it. And it just looks like a dream job. And it looks like God has answered my prayer. But I'm afraid about the money. And I'm afraid about my best friend being my boss. So it's not the exact thing I asked for. You know, I, I ordered up a job that was stable and easy with lots of money, weekends and nights off, and lots of vacation, and I wanted God to send what I wanted, not what God sent. But I recognized it, and I paused, and I asked for direction. You know, is this what I'm supposed to do? Because mostly I believe in the power. And, it, it, and some interesting things happened. First, my real estate business for, for winter ended November 1st, which doesn't usually happen. Everything I listed sold. All the buyers I had were in their homes, and I wasn't working. And that yet doesn't usually happen until about mid-December. And I had made great money, and I had six months of expenses in the bank. So was it God or was it God? You know? Was it God or was it God? Was this, was this the direction? So everything pointed to taking this action. So we did a, a, a temporary contract employment just for November and December while I'm in my winter months. And I kept asking God, how can I be of service? Help me to stay willing, honest, and humble in this process. And I went to work for her for a couple of months. And then there was the discomfort that happens when we go into the pause. Because I'm an addict and I'm impatient. And I want what I want when I want it. And I wanted answers. I wanted to know if this was my path. 
I was uncomfortable sitting and waiting to see, was I going to make a change? And in the meantime, I'm not working on my real estate. I'm not preparing for spring. I'm not reaching out to people to build my business. I'm not taking action in that other job. And so I go into doubt. I go into fear. And I have to stay in this pause for eight weeks. And it's painful. But I keep asking God, bless this path or block it. Give me clear direction and give me the courage to carry it out. And I ask for faith that I will be given what I need and my family will be taken care of regardless of the outcome. So it takes five weeks and then I get my answer. God blocked it. I got clear indication that this wasn't going to be a fit for me in my life as it was today and that I was to finish December and go back to real estate. And what, the, what is beautiful about being in the pause and staying connected to the power is I didn't have any question. I had no doubt about this guidance. I had no remorse about this decision. And I was walking away from a huge position of retiring with lots of money in five years and this being able to pay for my kids' tuition to college in six years. And then I started thinking, wow, this money thing is a really big motivation for me in this whole job. And I realized that most of the year I've been focused on money because I've been thinking about how am I going to pay for college in six years. And in that process, I lost my financial faith, even though for the last three years God has been providing for me. And the promise of the ninth step that says fear of economic insecurity will leave us. Well, my fear of economic insecurity came back because, you know, I have a lot of financial responsibility. For four people in the world, I'm 100% commission. So I can get caught up in self-reliance around making money. And I had surrendered all that. And I have had freedom from, from the fear around money. And here it was in my face again. And that was driving all this stuff I was doing for the last eight weeks. And the funny thing about it, funny not so ha-ha, I am financially secure. I got money in the bank. I have a retirement account, and I've made great money for the last three years. So what was happening here? I was just reigniting fear from untreated thinking. My ego showed up, and I went into self-will and self-reliance. I wasn't really paused asking for the next right action. And what happened after you know, I told my friend that I wasn't a fit for the business she asked me to stay in some capacity and work part-time and still do my real estate, which I agreed to do in January. Okay, let's extend this to January. I didn't pause. I didn't check in with higher power. I went to self-reliance and attached myself to the idea that, oh, good, I'll get some equity in the company and still, look, I can hedge my bets against God providing for us in 2019. So I would have a plan B in case God didn't show up. Because after all, the real estate market, the, po the politics, three rate hikes by the Fed in uh, 2018, financial markets and the, the trauma that's going and things are slowing down, all that's happening out in the world, out in life. So where did I go? I went to fear and self-reliance. God isn't going to handle this, I tell myself, so I better get in and control things. So this goes on for a few more weeks, and now I'm in December, and I fell apart with worry and stress, and I started worrying about, how am I going to do two jobs in January? And finally, I realized, oh my gosh, I'm in charge here, and I paused. And I spent some time reconnecting with higher power, 
and meditating and writing and going into outreach and asking my God squad for help, asking for people to help me work this out, you people on the phones. And once again, in very short order, it was really clear that I needed to go back to real estate and remove myself from this other business. And I had to get this clarity that I was operating out of fear of missing out, of not getting something I wanted, of not getting what I thought I needed. And this is the fear in my mind, in my untreated mind that plagues me and plagues all of us addicts, that nothing is ever enough. Higher power gave me this incredible job, this life, this income, and it's never enough. Nothing is never enough when I go back into my untreated thinking. And sometimes, since I believe my life is not perfect, I want more and different than I have been given. I don't want to accept the life I've been given. And when I got clear, I got it all worried because now I had to go back to my friend again and say, I can't do this. I, I I have guidance that says I need to move on. And so I called her. And I, I prayed and I asked God for clear guidance for the conversation to have with her. And I called her and she said, oh, I have news for you before we start. You know, our board's decided to change our direction and focus on this other area. And we're redeploying all this staff in the area that we're going to expand with you. So we're not going to move forward yet on that area of the business. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to laugh. Like, okay, is it odd or is it God? I let go and it fell into place exactly as it was meant to be. So sometimes the answers come immediately if I pause and ask for direction. And sometimes it just feels like intuition rising up in me. You know, I might feel some fear at taking the action, but the answer is always clear if I remain connected to this power and I earnestly seek. It tells us in the big book, earnestly seek and the answers will come. And the big book also says how we're often surprised how the right answers come after we've tried this for a while. So one way that I get away from self-reliance to the pause is to ask myself all day long, where's God in this? And lately, the answer is always, behind the door I slam shut in God's face. You know, God is always there. And willingness means opening the door that I closed. God doesn't close doors. But God cannot take what we will not give. I close the door and I go to self-will and self-reliance because I take the power back and I play God. And the pause is hard because it makes me look at my patterns. It makes me look at my resistance. It makes me look at my character defects. It makes me halt this untreated, addictive urge to get more, get more now, get answers, get my way to get control, to be the power. So the pause opens this door of willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things, that I'm not in charge. The pause causes me to change and grow in the light of God. And I'm no longer surprised when God shows up with the right answers. The pause has given me faith that the power the power of God is so much bigger than my human mind can even get wrapped around. And my only job is to stay connected so I can hear the direction, open the door, 
direction that is loud and clear and direct when I practice the spiritual connection and try not to grab control. So I have another story that really ties this situation up, and I, it's something that I still struggle with a little shame around. And in the middle of all this angst and, and the discomfort that was building in me when I was in the pause for that six weeks, I broke. You know, I fell on my face one day. I let it get to me, and I didn't really know what was going on until later, but I blew up at my son Adam, and I don't know, <clears throat> I didn't know that it was all this work crap building up in me. You know, he had done something, and I overreacted, and I really let him have it, and I called him selfish, and he cried, and I raged, and my untreated mind took charge, and I took it out on my kid. I tried to control him. I tried to change his behavior, and I was really nasty. And later, I felt the shame and humiliation of my inability to control my emotions. And you know what? I'm powerless. I'm powerless, and I can't control it. I have to surrender that. But I didn't turn to the power then. I went into self-reliance, and it failed me. And I hurt my, my son. And I was full of shame, and I did a 10-step, and I made amends to my son, and then I made amends to his brother and his dad for having to witness my behavior, and I was forgiven, but I held on to that shame for a while. And what I know is that shame doesn't serve anyone. It's so easy to go into shame and get stuck there in morbid reflection. So I had to go to God and ask God to remove this character defect. I fall down, and I take things out on the innocent. I hurt people. Even recovered people fail at spiritual perfection. And I know it serves no one to wallow around in shame and guilt. That only leads to medicating with food. And I have to work this thing with my hair on fire. And I have to make sincere amends. And I have to change. And I have to let God have it all. And it was a really great lesson for me. <laughs> it was painful. You know, God continues to show me all the places I'm not paused. And when I'm focused on this pause, when agitated or doubtful, then I get to see everywhere that I'm not paused because I can't change what I can't see. So I'm, I'm not arrived. I haven't arrived. I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. And if I'm to establish and maintain the new order of things, I must always have willingness, honesty, and humility to be changed, to have God in charge at all times and giving me direction at all times. And the big book tells me that my mind is undisciplined. And when I am untreated, I am always going for self-preservation. The discipline of the pause is just the hardest thing that I'm learning. I have to keep my eye on progress, not perfection. I might go into morbid reflection, but I have to ask God to remove that character defect right away so I can go back and be of use and so I can carry a message of hope to others through, when, through my failings and being able to say how I was able to be pulled back up. And when I do it, I get a sense of freedom. I get a sense of recovery. And I feel the presence of this power that I call God. So the pause leads me to the conscious contact with God, God in charge. Thy will not mine be done. And that leads me to a position of neutrality in all areas of my life, with my food and with my, my mind. 
and I feel safe and protected by the power of God. And that is freedom from this disease. So I have one, I have one final story, and it's the best thing that came out of this eight-week pause that I've been in. Um, every year for Christmas, somebody in our family, my husband or I, chooses um, a custom ornament, and we have something writ- written on an ornament for our Christmas tree. And it's a saying on it that reminds us of something significant about the year. So when we take out our ornaments every year and we, um, we look at them, we can read and remember, oh, remember when Adam was two and he said this, or Liam was five and he said this. And so it's just something that is such a, such a wonderful um, thing we have going on, tradition we have going on every year. And um, this year my 11-year-old son secretly made the ornament. And it said, which I can't even say this without crying, do it with your hair on fire. You know, he's 11, and he's already understanding this design for living that really works. You know, he's 11, and the ornament said, do it with your hair on fire. And he told my husband, that's the most significant thing that happened this year. So it's just such a blessing. It is such a blessing to be in this program. And it is such a blessing to really sink in to these very clear, detailed instructions in this big book. And to really understand how to pause and ask for direction and to forgive myself when I'm imperfect. So the power of this program is a beautiful thing, and it works. It really does. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. And thank you, Marie, for your beautiful and inspirational presentation this morning. Thanks for sharing such profound experience, strength, and hope with all of us on the line. The share ID for today's presentation, 12,359. That's 12359. Marie's contact information will be offered at the conclusion of the recording, so stay tuned for that. And we will now transition to question and answer segment. You can pose a question by pressing star 1 to unmute. Please offer your name and first letter of your last name as well. Who has Ginger a question? C. Ginger. Cynthia C. Cynthia C. Bonnie B. Bonnie B. Elizabeth B. Yeah, got in. Maureen H. Maureen H. Elizabeth Shannon B. S. Shannon S. Matthew F. Matthew S. I have Ginger C. Cynthia C. Bonnie B. Maureen H. Shannon S. Matthew Toby. S. Toby W. Toby W. Okay, that's Elizabeth D. Elizabeth D. We'll check you on the end there. Okay, that's a great group. Everybody, please mute. Thank you very much, except for Ginger C. Ginger, your question, please. Hi, good morning, Leah. Thank you so much for your continued service. And Marie J., wow, beautiful, beautiful 
and what an ending the connection with these families and and what they're experiencing you know our example is pretty profound so so incredible and um you know you talked at the beginning and i just love this when you read it on page 13 belief in the power of god plus enough willingness honesty and humility and you know it's one thing to believe but it's another thing to rely and the book tells me god is everything so i'm just curious that was a big pivotal point for you in your recovery from what from what it sounded like when you were sharing and you know what was that moment like or that experience was there something that you can pinpoint where that change happened that you saw the power of god and with that i pass thank you <clears throat> thank you ginger oh I don't know that I can um, go back and point to any one thing, but but I do know that after my second relapse and I learned about having to do this with my hair on fire every single day, um, that that I only have 24 hours. I only have that 24-hour window to be of maximum service and to surrender. And so... That's how I operate. I try not to get my head too far in the future because when I go into the future, I go into fear and God isn't there. God isn't in my fear. And I feel like I do this every day. I have to get up and do steps one, two, and three before I put my feet on the floor getting out of bed. I have to say, okay, I'm powerless. And I do believe because this power shows up. And I, I know that in the beginning, I wrote down experiences of God so that I could see the little things that were happening. So I could see the little things and not just say, oh, that's a coincidence. So I could look at every little thing that showed up in my life to say, wow, that was, that was God. You know, that wasn't accident or coincidence. That was God in operation in my life. And as those built up, my my reliance muscle became stronger. But I have to do it every day and I have to pay attention every day. I don't write down the experiences anymore because I the muscle's bigger, the muscle's stronger. I can see them. I can pay attention to them. But it started small and it grew and grew and grew and grew. And it grows 24 hours at a time. And if I'm not connected in a 24-hour period, boy, I know it because I don't feel the power. And then I have to sit down and make it my priority the very next morning, sit down and get connected to this power because it feels incredible. It feels free. It feels powerful in me. And then I don't have to run the world. So I also, at the same time, feel this incredible sense of serenity. And I don't feel alone. I feel connected to the world, and I don't have to do anything. I can just rely and take the next indicated action. This is a program of action. I must take the action. So I have to have the courage to take the action that I'm given. Thanks, Ginger. Yes, thank you, Ginger C. Cynthia C. Um, thank you so much, Leah, for your service today. Um, Marie, Jay, I, unbelievable. Just you spoke to my soul. I, I have to say that last year your special edition profoundly affected my program. It profoundly had 
this amazing impact on my program um, and in the way that I relate to my family members. So I, I really felt like today you were telling my story about going from rage to connectedness with God. Um, and, and I have found those promises to definitely be coming true with my husband and my multiples. Um, but one of the things that's come up for me this week is um, an unusual amount of interaction with extended family members who are not in program, who are not in recovery, who are not mentally stable or healthy. And they're, they're, uh, we have a lot of interactions with them coming up this next few weeks. And um, I'm just wondering, you, you talked really about how you're applying this to your own immediate family. I'm just wondering how you're applying these steps and dealing with sort of the outside world or other people who may not be so stable or connected or invested in your recovery. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Cynthia. <clears throat> um, you know, it gives us the instructions right in the book um, on page 66 and 67. We realize that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick, though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us. They, like ourselves, were sick too. We asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God, save me from being angry. Thy will be done. This is what I do. I accept. You know, I have to, before I can surrender anything, I have to have acceptance. I must accept life as it is. You know, I, I, I read that, um, that quote from, um, from uh, Rami Shapiro, is, is the quote that I read earlier, about, you know, how do I live in this world? I have to accept my world that I inhabit, and I have to accept the people and the things that are going on. I can take action. I can... I can be in the world and have causes that I want to work on and things like that. I don't have to sit passively, but I have to accept that this is the condition of the life I inhabit. And then I have to surrender it. I have to say, God, I am uncomfortable. This makes me uncomfortable. And then I have to say, oh, I'm spiritually sick. sick. Perhaps they are too. I am imperfect spiritually. And if I am sitting in judgment of others, there's my spiritual imperfection right there. How can I be of service to them? How can I carry your will out? What's your will? Just to love. Anything that isn't love is my problem. Then I'm the problem because it's between my ears. So I, I don't know how many times I say during the day, if I'm not the problem, there's no solution. If I am disturbed, I am the problem. It's what I'm thinking about whatever is going on in the world that I inhabit. And how can I get to acceptance? And how can I surrender? And how can I ask God, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? If I go always to everything with service in mind. I went into this job with service in mind. My friend needed my help, and I wasn't even sure I wanted to do it. But she needed my help, and I went in and said, how can I be of service? I'm not attached to this outcome. How can I be of service? So that's how I 
That's how I go after everything. I don't do it perfectly. I fall on my face. I hurt people. But that's the instruction I try to take every day. Thanks, Cynthia. Yes, thank you, Cynthia C. Bonnie B, star one to unmute. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Bonnie B in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Marie, um, if I ever doubted what's God, you know, like what's Memorex and what's live, um, boy, was it clear to me today that you are God speaking, God speaking through you. Um, again, um, you told my story in so many ways. I'm about four months in recovery, and my abstinence has been a blessing of, you know, good. That's been good. My mental twist is getting twistier sometimes. And um, I threw up on my brother at the end of a Christmas uh, event. Um, I left a big turd in the living room and told him he wouldn't know a feeling if it hit him in the ass. And, you know, it's like you spot it, you got it. And, and you're just really showing me. And, and um, because I don't know how to walk through this. Um, I, I apologized to the group before I left. I did it in tears, trying to keep back my own shame and guilt. And, um, and now I've been kind of like hiding out from them and, and feeling like probably ought to go in the center of town and sit in my sackcloth and ashes. And I, I'm wondering how you help yourself or how you, God, you ask God to help you get out of that terrible, icky, you're a piece of crap feeling when, you know, when I fall on my face so much. Thank you, Bonnie. Um, I love that you spot it, you got it. Oh, that's such a good thing. Um, and congratulations for four months in recovery. Wow, that's incredible. Um, the uh, Yeah, the hiding out in shame and guilt. God, it's so hard. You know, after I did that to my son, the shame and guilt were just so bad. And, you know, and then I go into this self-talk of, self-loathing, you're, you're better than this, you're more recovered than this, you've got a talk to do in two weeks, and look at who you're being, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just incredible where our mind will take us, and that's just the ego, and, um, uh, you know, I have this thing up, uh, oh, well, of course I don't have it on my wall right now to quote, but it's um, something that Gandhi said, and it said our, our beliefs become our thoughts, our thoughts become our words, our words become our uh, actions, our actions become our habits, our habits become our values, and our values become our destiny. I'm missing a few in there, but essentially, mm-hmm. our beliefs become our destiny. And so if we believe we are shameful and guilty, then that's how we will live. And the big book tells us we don't go to morbid reflection. Morbid reflection is shame and guilt. We don't go there because it's not useful to anyone. And our primary purpose is to be useful to God's kids, you know, to be useful and to be of service and to carry this message. And we we cannot carry and demonstrate what we do not have. So if I allow my thoughts and my beliefs to stay in morbid reflection and shame and guilt, then who am I useful to? I'm not useful to myself. I can't carry the message. I can't be out in the world. And so I have to stay with God until it's removed. And sometimes i got to be in the pause and, and, and be in the muck 
And what I do is I sit and I write. I just write reality. Here's what's going on. Here's the shame and the guilt. Here's what's going on. What would God have me be? You know, I write a letter to God. What would you have me be? What would you have me do? And I try to first mentally, mentally sort it out and put it on paper, get my thoughts down, and then I stop and I close my eyes and I go, okay, God, I know that you are not shame and guilt, and I'm not of any use to anyone. And I quiet myself, and I get still, and I say, come on in. Come on in and inhabit my world, inhabit my mind, my heart, my soul, my body. Let me feel you in my body, and then I sit quietly, and I get connected. And it's a practice. You know, it doesn't happen right away. So a lot of people give up on meditation because, Oh, my God, I've been meditating for months, and my, my head is so noisy. Let it be noisy and keep inviting God in. It's okay. Nothing that happens in meditation is wrong. Everything that happens is exactly in the plan. It's exactly in the right, right time. So we just get connected to God, and we keep doing it. And if it's five minutes to start, fine. Do it five minutes this morning and five minutes tonight. If it's just writing a letter and trying to get connected that way, it's pulling God back in and reading the text that says in the instructions, we don't go to morbid reflection. It's not useful. How can I be of service? Thanks, Bonnie. Oh, thank you. Another bullseye. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Bonnie B. For the question, Maureen H., your turn. Hi, good morning. Maureen H., a compulsive reader in South Florida. Um, I feel like it was kind of asked with Ginger C.'s question, but I was curious, um, because you talked about your two relapses, um, what changed um, either around your powerlessness with the food or with your relationship with God? Um, and, like, what, was, what were the biggest takeaways or changes um, that you learned from your relapses? Oh, great question, Maureen. What changed? Um, well, my <clears throat> my first relapse, um, I didn't even know I was in relapse because I wasn't eating on my red list, so I never, you know, got off my red list. But for a few months, I was just overeating, and I just, I stopped, I didn't finish my ninth step. I had three amends left on my ninth step, and I just rested on my laurels. I got this. I feel great. I've lost 80 pounds. I'm, I'm so good. I'm so there. I'm so cured. So it was just my, um, uh, my ignorance of this is a 24-hour program. You know, so I was just naive about the instructions. We have to work 10, 11, and 12. I never got to 10, 11, and 12. I didn't finish nine. And so I rested on my laurels. I felt great. I lost a bunch of weight. I got what I needed. And, uh, and I didn't make my amend to my husband. That was the really big one. You know, he harmed me more than I harmed him was my attitude. So I was still in really untreated mental condition. And, and then I really got into the big book. So my first relapse was prior to being on vision and really studying the big book. And I was kind of I was kind of making up the program as I went. I had a sponsor, but, you know, it just, I wasn't doing the program. I wasn't following the instructions according to the book. Then I got in the second time, and I had been in vision for six, six months, and I had um, a, a one-bite flip. But I knew that that one bite had sugar in it. And then I was trying to pass it off going, ugh, it's one bite. You know, 
I'm, I'm back on it, you know, but it took me three days to get honest. And I went to my sponsor and I said, okay, I did this. And I knew I did this. I had a bite of sushi. And uh, sushi had sugar in it and I knew it. And, um, and she said, okay, we're going to start over. Oh, and I just was heartbroken. We had been through the book. I was recovered. I was getting ready to sponsor. And I, and I just, I got honest. And I got willing, and we started over. And we realized, because the beauty and the, the gift of, of relapse is I got to go back and find out what was missing. What step did I fall down on? What was missing? And it was step two. I didn't believe in the power. I did not believe that God could run every bit of my life. And my sponsor worked really hard with me to really get that kept that that connection. And so what changed was I got my hair on fire. I got my hair on fire and I said, I'm, a, I'm the real deal here. I am the real deal. And I have to work this with my hair on fire. And that is a choice. That's a decision I make. I have to work this with my hair on fire. I got to be connected to God every day or I am going to fall on my face. Thanks, Maureen. That was Maureen H. Thank you very much. Shannon S., your turn for a question. Uh, this is Shannon S. Did you call me? I did. Go Thanks right so ahead. much, Leah. Thanks. Thank you so much, Marie. Oh, my gosh. Um, amazing, amazing. I needed to hear every word. Um, my question is, um, as time has gone on and you have begun working the program more and more like your hair is on fire, um, could you describe some of your experience um, in your interaction with your husband? And, like, did you ever experience, like, him not getting it and how you kind of worked that through or how you navigated that your life was changing in terms of your actions and your recovery work? And, and just describe a little bit of that. Um, Shan, tell me a little bit more. What do you mean that he didn't get it? Say oh, that. It, well, okay. It's... Okay, so... Um, I'm just wondering, um, did you experience any tension around um, once you're in recovery and you're spending a lot of time on recovery work, um, was there any tension there or him not understanding why you needed to spend so much time maybe on the phone or in meetings or doing your step work? Oh, that's a great question. Yes, of course, there was tension. And he, he was really angry sometimes because – I, you know, people would call it any time. And so I negotiated that with him, and I sat and explained it. And my husband and I have a um, 5.30 a.m. marriage meeting on Wednesdays and Fridays, 5.30 to 6.30 a.m. every Wednesday and Friday. And um, we sit and kind of do program in terms of we each get to speak and no one's allowed to comment on each other's where each other is. And, and we work out issues and we do boundary setting and things like that. And we've been doing that for five years since I, five and a half years since I got in, in the program. And that has been a good place to negotiate things. And I have explained over time, you know, that, well, of course he was there for my two relapses. And, and, and I do a lot of my work with sponsees in the same room he's in. I'm on the phone and he can hear my side of the conversation. And, um, so he hears a lot of program, but 
I've had to spend a lot of time explaining, this is saving my life. This has to be first, or I'm going to turn into that wild animal that you used to be married to. And so he gets that. But I negotiated the times. I said, okay, I have to do this program work. So I will do it either early in the morning, or I will do it while the kids are getting ready for school and you're getting them ready, or I will do it at this time or this time or in the evenings, and you can pick, and that's when I will do it. But I need a few hours a day to be on the phone with people. And he picked. So I do my sponsoring very early in the morning before anybody's out of bed and while the kids are, he gets the kids ready for school. So that's what we've negotiated. He never questions it. And sometimes I take calls later in the day, but I don't do any calls after 5 o'clock my time. That's what I agreed. I will be home on the nights I'm not working with the family and I will not take calls. And when I work with people, I tell them that. And I text them and I say, I, don't, I, I, don't, I do calls during these hours and, and we negotiate that. And that's how I stay committed to my marriage and my family and I don't get consumed. It's like everything else. I work during these hours. I do program during these hours. I do my personal program all day long, but I carry the message and sponsor and take outreach calls at specific times. Thanks, Shannon. That was Shannon S. Thank you very much. Matthew S., your turn. Star 1 to unmute Matthew S. Good morning. My name is Matthew S. from northern New Mexico. I've been abstinent for five days. And one thing that has been mentioned several times is this notion of I will be done. And for such a long time as I've been floundering around in this program for the last couple of years, before I got a sponsor, I thought thy will be done meant that God would do it. Uh, and I realized more and more that uh, it's up to me to do it, to be quiet enough and to listen to, to God's will for me and be patient and to really do the work. So I want to thank you for letting me share and pass. Thank you, Matthew. And um, congratulations on your five days of abstinence. Um, you know, you're the most important person in the room right now. And I'm grateful that you're here and willing. And, you know, yeah, that thy will be done. You know, that's, that's, that's the pause. And the pause sometimes is long and hard. And being able to stay in the pause and asking for God's will, but also the other piece of it is asking for my action. So... Thy will be done, but what's my action that I have to take? This is a program of action, and we have to make decisions and choices throughout that. And it's, um, it's just so great to have you here and share that piece, and I'm really grateful for you. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you, Matthew. Toby W., your turn. Question, please. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Marie. Um, I have a sponsee who says she keeps forgetting to pause. She doesn't pause at all. I was just talking about it yesterday, and other than asking her to listen to you, to listen to this, what kind of a suggestion... <clears throat> would you give to somebody that is 
I don't know if she's in, just doesn't want to or or what, but she says she keeps forgetting. How would you respond to something like that with a sponsee? I would oh, that's a great that. question, Toby. Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, I, too, in the beginning, really struggled with just remembering to connect to God and remembering God was there. And so way back, you know, five and a half years ago when I started, I set the alarm on my iPhone. Every hour it went off, and I had a little message there, where's God, or surrender, or check in with God. And I I did that for two years. I had that alarm set, and it bugged the hell out of me because eight times a day it went off every hour. And I might just click it off, but it built built that muscle, that habit for me to check in, check in, check in, check in. And – when I get off track, like when I had the, they had the problem in Boston for four days and I got home, I set my alarm four times a day to go off because I got disconnected and I had to be reminded, who's in charge here? Who's in charge here? Who's in charge here? So that was the alarm that I set when I got back from Boston. So it still works for me to just give me a quick reminder to do a check-in. And I don't have to stop and meditate. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I sit for five minutes and go, okay, God, what is thy will? What is, what is your will for me? What, what, can I, um, what can I connect into here? So we all forget. We have incredibly short memories. That's our ism. And we have to take action to remind ourselves So it might be setting the alarm. That's just the easiest thing for me because my phone's with me all the time. But what other ways? Ask her. What are the ways you remind yourself to do other things? Put it on your calendar. Do you run by a calendar? Put it on your calendar. Um, Do you have a to-do list? Put it on your to-do list. You know, I have a calendar that that has every half an hour of the day. I could write down right on my calendar. So when I look at it, I go, oh, yeah, I'm not in charge. Okay, let me connect. Ask her, what is her, what, you know, we can be responsible for ourselves. How do we remind ourselves to take the kids to the school? How do we remind ourselves to do the activities we do in our life? We build that muscle of habit, so build a habit. Thanks, Toby. Thanks, Marie. I had to chuckle because I, too, do the alarm system. There you go. uh, Works, doesn't it? I didn't even (laughs) stop to think that I should suggest that she do the same thing because I've been doing that for years. But thanks for the reminder. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Toby W. Elizabeth B. Star one to unmute. Hi, it's Elizabeth D. um, Recovered in Boston. Um, uh, Marie, what an incredible gift um, this morning your share was. Thank you so much. I re- related a great deal to your stories about your relapse during the Q&A time, and um, my relapse have, follow- have followed a very similar pattern. And I find myself on um, December 30th here, um, after two years of, of back-to-back recovered abstinence, and I've been in OA for 30 years, but this is recovered abstinence, feeling myself really close to picking up. And um, it's, it's, it scared me. It's, it scared me, so my hair is now on fire. Um, and part of this has to do with what's going on in life. 
there, you hear in the 12-step rooms, and there is a question in here, it's coming, I promise. Um, you hear in 12-step rooms a lot, don't let the gifts of recovery take you away from recovery. Um, and I'd like to hear what you might say to someone that you're guiding or someone that, you, that you've been working with or someone who's come back who you've worked with before who is in a new romantic relationship. And um, I'm, <laughs> I'm just trying to get out of my own way. And, you know, God brought this person into my life for a reason, and it was a God-centered dating process. And now we're settling into that. The romance is over, and now it's just life. And I am scared to death that it'll work out, and I'm scared to death that it won't work out. And I would love <laughs> to hear any, anything that comes up for you as I say those words. Oh, thank you, Elizabeth. I actually am working with a sponsee who is in a new relationship, so I have a lot of um, exposure to this lately. And um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's really powerful because what I believe is nothing ever happens by mistake. It all happens at exactly the right time when we're ready, and that's God's will. God's will happens when we are ready. So you're ready for this because it's happening and that's what God has brought to you. It's time for you to start in this playground, right? You're, you're, you're extending out into the world. And if we stay connected and remember that our primary purpose is to carry the message and be of service. And so I, I always want more. I want more from my husband. I want more from life. I want more money. I want more for my kids. I want more. That's my ism. I, I am, nothing is ever enough for this addict, and that's my untreated thinking. So when I go into, wow, I want something from this relationship, and I need to get this, and you need to be this way, this is God letting us see the things we need to pause in. It is such a good mm. opportunity for the pause. And, mm. you know, running into the bathroom, stuffing a sock in it, and asking God to restrain my tongue when I want something from you or I want you to be a certain way or I want you to change, especially when the honeymoon's over. Because now right. we all show up with our ugly warts. You know, and I'm 16 years looking at my husband's warts and he's looking at mine, you know. And we, ha we are two very, very different people. And there's a book out. I, I, I just heard about this recently. I don't even know what it's called, but it's like we, it's something like we will marry the wrong person. Why will we marry the wrong person? Because we're all unique and different and we all think that that person is going to answer our prayers and fill our hole. We have to keep going back to God. God fills our hole. We make those people God. We make our sponsors God. Here, I've done all this. I want you to fix my hole, my big old hole. If I stay connected to higher power, and I work this with my hair on fire, and every day I'm getting up and saying, okay, God, I'm going to connect with you now. Help me remember with my incredibly short memory today that you are in charge. Help me be of service to this person and not try to dig my claws in and get what I need because I cannot get what I need from other human beings. I can oh. only get what I need from God. That's the only place that my hole can be filled. And if I stay connected and keep this daily maintenance of my spiritual condition my number one priority, yeah, I'm going to fall on my face. I'm going to go and make demands of my husband. But I'm going to recognize it in the pause, hopefully before I trash him, 
and not have to make an amend and go back to God. Because I'm human. I'm going to make a mistake. And if I go to morbid reflection and say I'm such a crappy person, oh, I'm so awful, and go to self-loathing, it's not useful. Go back to God. Get reconnected with God. That's what I have to constantly do 24 hours a day, one day at a time in my relationship. It doesn't change. Every day I have to go back and get my resource from God. Thanks, Elizabeth. Bullseye. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much, Elizabeth D. We can take a few more questions here on the line. Star one to unmute. Jason K. Jason. Gina R. Liz K. Jody EQ. Kathy K. Yvonne H. Um, who did I miss? I have Jason K. Gina R. Liz K. Kathy K. Linda Jody, Jody, you missed. Jody EQ, and there's one other person. Linda G. Um, Linda G. Okay, Linda G. And I'm missing one person. If you could please speak up a little bit, I think I'm missing. Yvonne D H. Yvonne. Okay, excellent. Okay, that'll be the entire group. Thank you very much, Jason K. Please go ahead with your question. Hi, this is Jason Kay. Um, Marija, I just wanted to ask um, how you, uh, I, I struggle just thinking I have an answer or an intuitive thought from God and how you distinguish um, that between maybe a selfish thought or a fear-based thought, like uh, if you get something in your gut but you're not quite sure, is this really God's will? I'm just, just curious of your thoughts on that. Oh, my gosh, Jason, I love that question because, yes, it happens all the time. And I have, I have come to understand when it's God's will and when it's my will. And it always comes down to, huh, am I still agitated or am I in doubt? Does fear or question come up about this? And if I am still in any kind of question, it's my will. It's me inserting myself into that. When God's will comes to me clearly, when the guidance comes, the direction comes, there is no doubt. I feel, and, and again, this is practice. It takes practice to build that spiritual muscle. I have to be connecting to it all day and asking on everything in my life, little stuff, the big stuff. I've got to be paying attention all the time. I can't go a week and not connect to the to the light and then go and try to connect and, and think I'm going to get an answer because I'm unpracticed. I'm un unpracticed at listening. So i got to be connected every day. And when clear direction comes and when I hear the clear direction, I go, oh, oh. I relax. I sink in and I go, oh, I don't have to be in charge. I might have to take action. I always have to take action. But I know that the direction is there. I might get a little afraid, like, I need some courage to take that action, but I'm clear, and I feel freedom. And if I don't feel that in the direction, and I feel anything else that looks like agitation or doubt, then I stay in the pause. You know, that pause in that job was five, six weeks long. And I had a couple times where the direction was clear, and I took it, and then I went back into my self-will. So. I had to keep writing about it and going, okay, I think I'm still in the pause. Oh, this is so uncomfortable. This is so painful. I want answers, God. You know, but 
but I'm willing to stay here until the answers are clear. There's something that I need to learn and grow when I'm still in the pause. So the distinction is, does it feel clear and does it make me go, oh, this is in the flow. Yeah, this is the direction. Thank you, Jason. Yeah, thank you very much. That was Jason K. Thank you. Gina R. Hi, Leah. Thank you so much. This is Gina R. Hi, Marie. Thank you so much. It's so good to hear your voice. As you were talking, um, the idea of what happens with eagles popped into my mind and, and, and the idea of, you know, even eagles need a push. And when little baby eaglets are, you know, supposed to get out of the nest, they're, the nest becomes uncomfortable. The the mom or whoever starts putting stuff in there to make it uncomfortable. And that's what it, it felt like as you were describing your situation and as it related to the fear of financial insecurity. But I'm wondering, were you able to get to, like, the root of that fear? Like, what what are you really, really afraid of? And also with this idea, at least for me, it's the thrill of soaring begins with the fear of falling. I'm like almost equally afraid of both. And I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what I'm curious about. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. It's good to hear your voice too. What was I really afraid of? Um, yeah, you know, whenever I do fear inventories, um, uh, Herb K has a really good sheet and um, it, you know, it has where does this fear come from? And then there's another question he asks that is, uh, I think it's Herb Case Sheets, um, what is the historic reason for the fear? And when I look at the historic reason, I always go back to my childhood. And so I have this core belief that I'm not safe. And I grew up in a family of alcoholism where there was unpredictable behavior. And once we start to understand that core and what happened when we were young and, and whatever was going on in our families, once I can look at that and, and um, see it for what it is and also say, okay, is that happening today? I'm a grown-up today. Do I have to attach myself to the fear? Do I have to, you know, is that reality today? And how do I go to God with this? But it's so much a part of my underlying core that, yeah, that stuff comes up. That's a regular trigger for me. It hasn't been so much on the financial piece until this, this most recent thing. Like for three years, I have had full financial freedom and just reliance on God. But it was time for me to go deeper. So like you said, the, the mom puts the stuff into the eagle's nest to make – make the eaglet uh, uncomfortable, God puts stuff in my nest to make me uncomfortable to take me to the next level. Am I truly reliant? Am I truly in faith? Am I truly in freedom? And so I'm always challenged to dig deeper and look at these historical notions that I had as a child and bring them into the present not drag them into the, my, in the present and, and blame my husband for them, but to treat them with program and treat them with the pause. Okay, what's going on here? Let's think about this. Let's write about this. Let's pray about this. So I dig in deeper, and I'm just down to another deeper layer of the onion. Thank you, Gina. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. Liz K, your turn, star one to unmute. Liz K. Star one to unmute. Hi, I had unmuted, but it evidently went back into mute. Sorry. Um, hi, Marie. Uh, this is Liz Kay, and my question is about sponsorship. I'm three months into this program, and uh, I've heard both ways. I want to know uh, if you, once you get the person through the steps, do you continue sponsoring them, and also do you still contact your sponsor, and if so, how often on either side of it, and also what if you do continue with a sponsee after they've worked through the steps, what is it that you then discuss on a daily basis if that's what you do? Because there's a lot of, I'm confused because there's both sides of this that I've heard and I don't know which is, you know, what the way to do it is. So if you could tell me. Okay, Liz, thanks. Um, <clears throat> I don't think there's any uh, real rule. You know, the big book doesn't tell us how to sponsor. Um, it just tells us to carry the message. And so I don't have a set way that I do things. I have access to my sponsor. My sponsor is my sponsor. I don't talk to her frequently, but I'm in communication with her. I call her when I need her. You know, I'll call and say I need a God shot. And, um, um, but that's why we build a God squad too. You know, I don't like my sponsees to rely fully on me because then it's too easy for them to make me God, make me them, make me their higher power. And so right away I like people to be getting on the lines, listening, putting their name out there, speaking. Because when you speak on the lines and you share, people call you because they connect. They connect with what you said and they pick up the phone and call. And so you start developing your God squad. So it's really important, I think, for us to have a God squad and other people we call. So I have a pretty stable God squad that I call and do my 10 steps with and that I call and work out my issues with. And I call my sponsor for specific things that she's really powerful in my life about. And I don't I don't, I'm, I'm a big, I'm, I'm not a big compliance girl. I don't think that there's any one way to do this. So I don't think there is a rule. With my sponsees, when I take them through the program and, and they're sponsoring, say, you know, call me when you need me. You know, text me. We'll set up a call. If you want to have a weekly call, that's fine with me. If you want to have a daily call, that's fine with me. You know, everybody, and, and then some come in and need more connection than others, and some go out and do it with their God squad. They don't need me at all, and I don't hear from them, and it's fine. Whatever works as long as you stay recovered. Now, I've had some go into relapse, and they come back, and what, what I hear from them is, well, I didn't reach out to anybody. I didn't keep carrying the message. I didn't do the work. So that's the most important thing is are you out there doing the work? Once you're recovered, are you out there carrying the message and working 10, 11, and 12? And that's all I ask of my sponsors. So when people call and they're in trouble, I ask, how have you been of service? What have you been doing? Are you carrying the message? And the answer is always no. So okay, let's get out and do that. But I'll support anybody who calls me. I don't have to be their sponsor and I don't, I don't have any uh, – I, I think you do that on an individual basis as is required by the sponsee. Thanks, Liz. Thank you. 
That's Liz K. Thank you. Kathy K., your turn, followed by Jody E.Q. Thank you, Leah, and thank you so much, Marie J. It was great to hear you today. My question was quite similar to Jason's about how do you know when you're... Kathy K., your voice dropped, so it's difficult to hear oh, you. Oh, is that better? Much. That... Thank you. Okay. Sorry. Um, Marie J., I'm wondering, in knowing that the pause and what you receive in the pause is um, God's will, and you said to Jason, if you feel better and you feel loving and you're not agitated, then that indicates that's the next right action. Um, I sort of carry that same principle, but sometimes I I make mistakes with that, and I act too quickly, and I'm just wondering whether... Sometimes you check with fellows or what else you might do to discern the will of God. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy Kay. Good to hear your voice, too. Um, yeah, that's always a good idea. Um, I, you know, it's, a, it's an ad hoc kind of thing. It's a case-by-case. Case. It depends on how big the issue is, too. Um, on this issue of this job, I was checking in with, with with people all the time on it because it was a really really big change. It was a big deal, and and um, so I think the bigger the issue, the more I check in. And sometimes when I get the direction, the direction is so loud and clear, I can take immediate action. Um, more often than not, I get the direction, but I don't take action for 24 hours. I might write about it a little bit more. I might meditate it on a, a little bit more. It's really circumstantial, um, and I do, I do try to check in with my God squad. I mean, my squad's pretty important to me, and running things by people who know me so well. You know, I have that handful of people who I'm really connected to, and they know me well, and so they can ask me questions that will help me discern. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think I have a clear answer because I think I use people in the program as, as often as possible to run things by them, but I also have times when the message is so clear what I need to do that I don't need to go to God with skin on. I got it directly from the source. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you. And yes, I, and the other thing is, yes, I do make mistakes. I do make mistakes and have to fall on my face and go, whoa, that was self-will. Okay, I, that, I didn't hear that clearly. And, and it's just progress. Yeah. Thank you so much, Marie J. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy K. Jody EQ followed by Linda G. Thank you, Leah. Thank you for your service, and thank you so much, Marie J. What a wonderful share. Thank you. I really, uh, really benefited from what you said about finding God's will is also about finding love in the situation. That was, that was fantastic. My question is around your relapses, what you called your relapses. Um, you said one of them was a bite of sushi, and the other one, I think you said, was overeating maybe. I'm not sure what you said. I just wondered if you would elaborate on that. And if you think being so strict with your food is instrumental, well, 
with the level of spirituality that you have attained. Thank you. Thank you, Jody. Yeah, my um my first relapse, it wasn't so much about the overeating. I mean, the overeating was what I did um to give myself ease and comfort when I stopped working in the program. I didn't finish my steps. So that was the first relapse. I got to nine, I rested on my laurels, and then I started eating for ease and comfort. And eventually I got to a place where, you know, and I stopped weighing and measuring my food. I just stopped everything. So um, I, I do not have as a part of my abstinence weighing and measuring my food exactly and precisely every day. It's a practice I do. It's a habit I have. But if I don't weigh and measure exactly, I'm not breaking my abstinence. My abstinence is my food list. This is my food list. I don't eat off of it. And what happened was I rested on my laurels. I didn't finish my steps. I started overeating. And then I ate off of my red list. And that's, that was the whole process of breaking abstinence. Abstinence is, starts happening, breaking abstinence, starts happening in my mind long before I put anything in my mouth that I shouldn't be putting in my mouth. So it's my thinking that, that shifts me into breaking abstinence. So when my thinking goes wrong and I start either getting images of food or thinking about, oh, I need more or whatever, I'm starting down that. That's the slippery slope. And, and a break in abstinence will come if I don't go treat that untreated mind. And so... I have to treat that. I got to catch that, nip it in the bud, and get back on track. And I didn't do that. And it went on for months, three and four months. And um, so it was that whole process. And then eventually I went out and ate nachos. And then the second time I had been six months working, listening to Vision every day, contributing, I got through all my steps, I was sponsoring. And I went out and I was in a situation where I was with a client and we were having sushi. And um, I I didn't know that sushi rice had sugar in it, so I thought sushi was um, was was sugar free. I actually thought I was eating abstinently, but then I ordered something and it had a drizzle of something on it that I knew had sugar in it. And I was with a client, and he was male, and I was embarrassed to you know send it back. And my embarrassment of my condition got to me, and I made a choice to eat it anyway. So that I knew was like, oh boy, that's relapse when I make choices like that. And so, and I knew it had sugar and I ate it anyway. So the, this whole thing about, you know, I had to, I, I realized, oh, I have to stay clean on my abstinence. I cannot put those foods in my body and, and get away with it. And yes, that directly impacts my level of spiritual connection. Because if I am using substances that my body can't tolerate, it's right there in the doctor's opinion. I have an allergy of the body and a twist of the mind, and I am powerless. And if I cannot do the first step, then I cannot carry a message. If I cannot be powerless and stay in that powerlessness and let God run my life, I can't get through the rest of the steps. It's the first step. So, yes, it's, it's completely tied to my level of spiritual connection. Thanks, Jody. Thank you, Marie. Thank you, Jody EQ. Linda G., and then our final question will come from Yvonne D.H. 
Thank you. Good morning, Linda J. Um, thank you, Leah, for your service. And uh, Marie, it was just absolutely, you were godsend for me this morning. It was just what I needed. Um, I'm actually in the same business as you, <laughs> and I was blaming it for my breaks. Um, so my question is, um, I was in another food 12-step program. I have to do all my programs um, on the phone because of where I live um, for 14 years, and I went through five AWOLs, Way of Life, where we do the 12 steps. The last one was a Herb K AWOL, where we went through the big book. Um, but the fourth step was really skimpy because we had to get go through it fast. Um, and I am, um, I joined a vision for you in July after I had a major, major relapse of picking up my alcoholic foods. And, um, my, so my question is, um, have you ever sponsored somebody who was afraid to get back to go away because when they hit go away, um, it was um, insane, I mean, with a lot of attention. And, um, oh, pause when agitated. I will say that I did have one sponsor every day I had to report to every time I um, didn't pause when I was agitated and every time I did pause. And let me tell you, that list Pardon of when me, I did Linda. pause became much larger as I kept doing this. I have been in a pause for 30 years in a marriage. And um, have you ever sponsored anyone whose husband tells them they're fat? And um, I'm not a victim. And I told him that. Linda G., if you could pose a question, please. Yeah, so the question is. In the interest of time, thank you so much. Have you ever sponsored anyone whose significant other keeps telling them they're fat, just wondering, and um, just keeping them in a pause until a door opens to move on. Thank you. Okay. Um, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't have any experience with that, um, but my answer to that would be, um, yeah, relationships are hard and people are the way they are, and so... We have to stay really close to God about that, and we have to keep working our fourth steps on our relationships because there's all kinds of wacky things that happen in our relationships and all kinds of ways people show up in our relationships that we don't like. And when we stay close to God and we stay connected to the power and we try not to change people, we can change our circumstances. We have all kinds of choices around our circumstances. If my marriage isn't working out, I have the choice to leave. But as long as I'm in it, I'm going to be of maximum service to my husband and to God. And I accept my circumstances and I accept where I am because acceptance is the first part of this. I have to accept my situation and I either make a decision with God in charge to change my circumstances and leave my marriage or I stay in and I do the best I can to make my marriage work 
and to work within what God has given me. I pause, I ask for direction, and I take action, and I learn how to do healthy boundaries that aren't raging. You know, all of these things have been a process for me. I don't do them perfectly, but it's so much better than the alternative. And I have chosen to stay. There was a time where I was, I was thinking about divorce because of my marriage and the situation. But I was also in a lot of self-pity and blame. Now, I practice program with my marriage most of the time. And in that, we have to work out and negotiate a lot of difficult things. And I don't sit around like a doormat getting run over. But God leads. God always leads. God is in charge. Sometimes I fall on my face and do it wrong. But I always try to go back to God, how do I handle this situation? Thy will be done always. And I pause until I have the right direction. Thank you, Yvonne. Thank you. That was Linda G. Thank you very much. Oh, and, sorry. Mm-hmm, our final question does come from Yvonne D.H. this morning. Yvonne, star one to unmute. Thank you so much, Leah, and thank you, Maureen J. Thank you for your for your share today. You you really talked about my story. Um, I'm a compulsive overeater and in recovery, and I'm calling from Germany. Um, my question is about um, new behavior in relationships. I happened to be in a family gathering last, yesterday. And there was a, um, a, it was part of a self-fulfilling prophecy because I've I've got a brother which is very, very difficult for me or I am difficult for him or whatever. And everything happened just the way I thought, of course. And um, uh, you were talking about uh, putting a sock in the mouth and going to the bathroom, etc. Well, I, I left the room twice. Uh, um, I left the room twice and tried to breathe and do things I could. So I tried to change my circumstances and I tried not to change him and I tried to get hold of God, but things got very difficult, more difficult. I was like sitting in there uh, with my hair in fire and it was really difficult, really difficult. Of course I can't stop him. And he went on talking and talking and talking and, and stepping on my toes and no boundaries at all just like it was in my childhood. So, um, and I thought, you can't, you, you can't keep uh, leaving this room now. You can't do this the whole time and, and you will spoil this uh, gathering. You can't do that. So I was really with my hair in fire. And um, yeah, so that's my question. What can I do? And to do small steps and stay somehow in serenity. Thank you. Thank you, Yvonne. Um, That is just such a good example of the pause. Um, You know, we we can be in discomfort in the pause. You know, sometimes we don't get the right direction. We don't get the right answers when we want them. You know, we want ease and comfort now, most of us. I do. I do. I want... I want the answer now. And sometimes the pause is longer. And I have to just disconnect myself in the moment and stay there and either look for a way of be, to be of service. And, you know, sometimes I'm sitting there the entire time when I'm in discomfort praying, God, show me how to be of service. God, show me what, 
what what you want me to do. I'm so uncomfortable. I'm so uncomfortable. Okay. Clearly you want me to be in this so that I can see how I react in my discomfort. And thy will be done. I I'm not clear on what your will is for me. You know, I have these mental conversations going on with God sometimes and saying, okay, I'm really uncomfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It is okay for us to be uncomfortable. We don't like it, we don't want it, and we want it to change. And now we can also set boundaries with people, you know, and and we can remove ourselves if it's too uncomfortable. You know, I'm not saying what you should have done in that situation because I, I wasn't there and I don't know. But some people in our lives are abusive and we learn to get to God's will and sometimes God's will is to, to set a boundary and not have a relationship with people. I don't know, but I know that my job is to be okay being uncomfortable. And be able to say, God, I'm really super uncomfortable. I'm willing to be here. I'm okay with it. What is it you would have me learn? What is it you would have me do to change? How do I need to change? My perception about this needs to change somehow. You are clearly giving me this pause to be able to feel this discomfort and to take the next right action. And I don't know what that is, so I'm going to stay here in the discomfort until I'm clear. And if I have to pray the whole time I'm there, that's what I do. I just keep praying. Help me to be of service. Help me. This, this is a spiritually sick person, just like me. I am spiritually sick too. How can I be of service? How can I help this person? I cannot afford to be angry, remorseful, or resentful. God, help me to show up the way you want me to show up. And that's all I do. And I stay in the discomfort. That's the pause. It's not a comfortable place. And sometimes it can last a long time. Thanks for your question, Yvonne. Thank you so much. You really made me smile. And that's the answer. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Marie J., for making a lot of us smile this morning. (laughs) Thank you for your beautiful presentation, your generosity with your time and your service this morning. Again, the share ID for today's presentation, 12,359. That's 12359. We're going to close from page 164. You'll notice that the chapter is entitled, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.